0: You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris-style podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they
1: are. Here's your hosts, Keely Orr and Shotgun Spratling.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud podcast. I'm your host, Keely Orr, here with Shotgun Spratling. We're doing a unique type of episode. It's a quick take Family Feud pod to break down the Pac-12's presser on Thursday. Shotgun, it's an interesting scenario because uh, the Pac-12 did an impromptu presser. We we were not expecting this. They gave us about, like, 40 minutes notice. Of course, it was one of the few times I was not near a computer (laughs) during all of quarantine. So I missed the presser. But you got to catch it and digest it, Shotgun. So basically, we're going to do, like, a review. Because we started, before recording this, I was picking your brain and kind of getting thoughts. And we were like, you know what? We should just hit record and and digest this together as listener- and me and listener together so it might be a little uh, <laughs> a little bit of, of a raw incident analysis of this presser but we thought we'd put something out for you guys so that uh you'll get the latest on what happened today so i guess shotgun first off what was this presser about why did they have to announce it right away impromptu on thursday and
0: what were your takeaways I mean, it, it was it was crazy because it it was classic Pac-12, we'll say, mm. you know, it didn't seem like there was a ton of forethought going into how we should lay this out. They sent an email at 113 is when I received it that, hey, we're going to have a video conference at 2 p.m. What is it about? A new research and testing partnership. And it's like, whoa, that sounds big. What exactly does that mean? And it, it takes them another 18 minutes before they send out a press release that actually explains, okay, this is what the partnership is and why you should actually tune into this partnership. And then of course, like everyone from national media catches in and says, Oh, okay, we got to pay attention. But just classic PAC 12 is like, it gives you, you know, we're giving you 45 minutes to get ready for this to go. And I talked with some people around the conference from a couple of schools And they had no idea that this was going on. Like This this was sprung on everybody. This was just the Pac-12 coming out with it. So it was Larry Scott, and it was two of the doctors in the conference, Uh, Doug Ackerman, who we've talked to previously uh, from Oregon State, their head of uh, sports medicine and and athletics, and then also Dr. Kim Harmon from Washington, their uh, lead for sports medicine as well. And then the fourth person involved was Douglas Bryant, who's the president and CEO of Quidel uh, Corporation, which is the company that is that the PAC-12 is partnering with to be able to provide testing and testing equipment to the PAC-12 schools. And it's big news. It is big news because what they've agreed to do is provide this testing and testing equipment that will allow PAC-12 schools to do daily testing, not just you know twice a week or three times a week, but daily testing and to be able to do that testing and have results within 15 minutes. So that's huge. That's something that was that was the big one of the big question marks about, um, you know, about the fall season. And one of the things that was a big issue for the Pac-12, one of their three or four main things that they said was, was a factor in why they decided to delay the, the season um, when they did that three weeks ago was because we just don't have the daily testing, the quick rapid test that we need to be able to have. Not everyone has access to that. This is going to make, so, make it so that that happens. Um, the, uh, Douglas Bryant, the CEO, did say that they have partnered with some other individual schools, but he said this is the first uh, of anyone that is doing it for daily testing as well. So big step forward for what the Pac-12 said they needed to have done for sports to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, they they said that they should have that each school should have testing equipment and test at the by the end of the month. Um, and one of the big things about this is that it can be uh, administered in the training room, so it's not like something you know you don't have. There's no huge machine or there's no big complicated thing. You don't have to bring in outside workers or anything. They're going to be able to train up the the trainers and be able to administer this in the you know, regular form of athletic training. So basically kids will be able to come in while you're getting, probably while you, you, you take your test and while you're getting taped up, you'll get your result back, you know, and uh, okay, I, I'm negative. I can go out and practice. And the, the big thing with this and the reason why the Pac-12 wanted this is to be able to, you know to mitigate any the any uh, big spreads been any big outbreaks and that's been a big problem in you know with a lot of other schools is hey they get it and they find out that they are a positive test now they have to do the contact tracing and they find out the spread gets wider and wider this is going to to hopefully, you know, be able to narrow things down and be able to, you know, get kids on the field, um, you know, and, and not have to worry about the possibility of okay, someone tests positive later. Now we got to go back. Who did they interact with? This should be able to to eliminate some of those steps and make it a lot, lot clearer path uh, for players to get on the field.
2: And Larry Scott described it as a game changer, and it's a game changer in the sense that student athletes are not going to be in a bubble. So this way, you can. Contain it much faster. You know your results much faster. It's it's a much it's a much more flexible situation, and by being more flexible, you can contain it much easier, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and you're gonna be able to to know if if you have it immediately, and then if you do have it, you can go back and contact trace with whoever you've been in contact with immediately, rather than waiting a couple of days and going, okay, who else did you who else were you in contact with since you were taking the test? And, you know, since you've gotten a result now, if those people had had a test, we had to retest all those same people over again, whoever's in your position group or whatever. Um, So it's a it's a big step forward for the Pac-12 potentially playing. And that was the big conversation um, when it was opened up to questions. When can the Pac-12 get back on the field? Now, like I said, it's a big step, but not there yet because and Larry Scott said this. It still is up to the local governments and uh, the ordinances that they're going to put forward. So because L.A. County can't practice yet, because, you know, the, the schools in California can't have uh, context um, uh, practices and stuff, it doesn't mean you're going to be able to immediately turn that around. You still going to have to work with the local governments and try to figure that out before they're able to get back on the field.
2: So, this is, now we're going to get into kind of the conversation before we hit record, and then we're like, wait, we need to hit record. I just have so many questions, because why rush to announce this right now? And then I feel like with everything that's happening with the Big Ten, this kind of just opens the door to, well, can they play? Can they not play? And the thing is, is like, I, I and you might get into the shotgun, but myocarditis is still an unknown for them right now and so and that was one of the main reasons you mentioned testing was an issue but myocarditis was another issue for them as well that hasn't really changed and what we know about that hasn't really changed since they made the decision so part of me felt like this was a big hubbub for not nothing because I understand how this is a quote-unquote game changer but it just felt kind of it felt a little flat for me and I don't know if I read this wrong because I was just sitting there reading tweets so I don't know if I the presser conveyed it differently <laughs>
0: Yeah, myocarditis is still an issue and something they're concerned about. Um, you know, the the Oregon State doctor, Washington doctor, both talked about this a little bit. They were hesitant to say that it's behind them. No, it's still a concern. It's something they're still looking at. But there was some breaking news out of this that the PAC 12, you know, probably should have put out a, its own press release and should be, you know, champion uh, pretty hard. But, you know, Dr. Kim Harmon from Washington said they put together a national coalition that the PAC-12 is leading and they've added schools like Harvard into this. The PAC-12 is leading Harvard here. Uh, <laughs> so it's a, a national study here, a research study to look at the myocarditis concerns. They're looking at the test results from people that have had it and stuff. It's the largest study on myocarditis in the nation. Um, and they're hoping to have preliminary results for this in the next couple months. You said in a month or two. Um, so you could, we could find out some more information about that. So it is still a concern, but probably a little bit less than it was, um, initially, when they decided to to cause uh, the delay in the season, and because they're getting information, but she did she did warn and say there's not enough information at this point is known about the potential myocarditis. But they're hoping to have those preliminary results from this study in the next month or two, and be able to get more information that way and continue to go forward. And so that's one of the studies that's going on. The other thing with this, and, and one of the reasons why. Uh, Quidell talked about that, that they uh, the president talked about when they decided to make this partnership with the PAC-12 is that it's going to be the largest study of asymptomatic um, subjects using these tests. And they're going to be able to take the information from this, look at the spread and different things It's because they're studying so many people across so many states. It's going to be the largest study that's being done. And they hope that it's going to be able to help benefit not only the Pac-12 and the potential of athletics in the Pac-12, but the governments in the Pac-12 areas, the national government as well, and they even talked about potentially helping the national economy out going forward. They're just trying to get information that will help, you know, not only the athletics because that is always a concern. Is like why why are the Pac-12 student athletes getting these tests versus someone else? And and I I think that part of that is going to be because it's a study and they're they're hoping to get more information out of this study that will help with other things going forward as well.
2: Now, the interesting thing is that I believe Larry Scott was asked directly how much is this going to cost the conference, and he wouldn't get into that,
0: right? Immediately. Immediately was like, oh, that's confidential. (laughs) And didn't want to speak on it. So that's that's a kind of a question, and uh, he was very quick to to not reveal the cost of the test in this agreement.
2: And this is in the background of furloughs happening just earlier last week,
0: right? Yes, yes, with furloughs and everything else and the exorbitant rent prices in San Francisco. Um, so, yes, that, that's something you'd like to know that information on. Hope that information gets leaked before too long. I mean, we've heard about rapid testing and the potential of these $5 tests uh, and, you know, being able to administer them to to many more people and just having that quick turnaround, how important that can be to to stemming spread um, in in any of the large group gatherings like you would have with a football game or a football practice.
2: In your opinion, I was trying to figure this out. How much of this, did this give more optimism in your opinion for, college basketball or college football?
0: You know, I, I think it's both. I think it, it, it gives more optimism. And Larry Scott talked about this and, you know, they're they're waiting to see what the NCA says as far as when the basketball season will start. And then he didn't want to make any, you know, definite statements about, hey, we're going to play in this month or this month. Larry Scott said, even if we were ready to start tomorrow with practices and everything, with games, with the testing was in place, you know we couldn't do that because there's still the government regulations and stuff, the local stipulations to whether or not they can. but but the developments will could potentially change the timeline. That's what he said. He said, we'll constantly revisit. We're going to be we're going to stay nimble. So that, that was partly a, a Larry Scott quote there that they're going to stay nimble with this. Uh, but he didn't want to make any definite statements. But it ga- gives you the feeling that this could happen, especially if, if the you know the local governments start giving a little bit of leniency there, if they feel more comfortable with the testing and stuff. And basketball, you know, they're looking at what the NCA is going to do. If the NCA, you know, they're looking anywhere between uh, beginning of November and you know first couple weeks of December. The later that is, the more likelihood that the Pac-12 will be able to join at the same time. Uh, still going to be questions there. It all come down to the local governments. But the feeling is that this this development pushes the timetable forward for the Pac-12, because this was one of the things that we heard three weeks ago is that they expected those this uh, the ability of these rapid result tests to be in November. And Larry Scott said a day late November is when they were expecting this. And now, to be able to get it in by the end of September for all 12 schools to have it, I think that pushes the timetable forward for the Pac-12 at least by a month, um, and you know that's a, a big step forward for them, and that's why that's part of the reason why they probably rushed to get this uh, you know press conference out rather than building up any suspense or building up any uh, you know actionable uh, timetable for people to to get on board and, and be really dug in.
2: My question, though, and maybe it's answered by their whole timeline that they anticipated, but on the original press conference, Larry Scott sounded very sure in saying, at the very earliest, we will be able to compete January 1st. I felt like that was a very definitive statement, and yet now it's kind of... To me, and this is just me being cynical because it's the Pact 12 but to me it kind of felt like, okay, well, no one else canceled, and we're kind of feeling like odd men out, so... We got this ready and we might be able to do something. Not sure, but we're trying. You know, like it just felt a little rushed or weird. I don't know. It came (laughs) off weird to me.
0: (laughs) And and one of the questions that was asked of Larry Scott is, hey, do you feel like you guys should have just delayed rather than pushing it all the way to January 1st? And he said, um, hope has never been a strategy for the Pac-12. And my immediate thought was he must not be talking about their television networks and their TV deals because we're hoping this does well. Pac-12 networks. We hope it does well because that seems to be the strategy there rather than having, we're hoping this press conference gets to everyone and everyone's able to join us in 40 minutes. That, that's, that's you know, the Pac-12 jumping, jumping forward with things. But that was his statement. He said, you know, hope's not a strategy, which I understand where he's trying to come from that, Hey, we're not going to hope for things to get better and get better. We're going to try to put an actionable plan together. That's what they did. And now they're going to adjust to it. And it's 2020. That's the, that's the mantra of this year. Basically you, you put a plan together and then make an adjustment as things change.
2: Yep. Speaking of which, you and I probably would have been in Texas right now in another life, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but here we are talking about this.
0: I know. I'm just looking through my photos and seeing uh, from last week, I saw a, a photo of us in the Coliseum for a scrimmage. And then this week, some of the photos that popped up are, you know, J.T. Daniels on the sideline on crutches, and it's like, oh yeah, that's the second half of the Fresno State game, and now J.T. Daniels looks like the four front runner at Georgia. So I was my say, my my, how things can change in twelve months.
2: Right. I was gonna say uh, that's Georgia starter J.T. Daniels to you shotgun.
0: Potentially, still has to be cleared by the by the uh, Kirby Smart ways, which means he's cleared to actually play in a game versus clear to play Cause he's actually been scrimmaging from what I read. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah. No, so, but knowing I, JT, JT will like glue his leg together in order to play and be the <laughs> starter. So that's, that was what I was banking on. Um, but coming back to the press conference, after what you heard today, in your opinion, what's delaying Pac-12 football from happening the most? Is it local regional guidelines? Is it myocarditis? Is it, is it the testing capability? What to you, I guess is the ranking or what, Stands out most as a a hindrance?
0: I think the testing was one of the biggest things initially. You know, being able to get those rapid tests, stop outbreaks from happening. You know, you're going to have some players that test positive. You know, unfortunately, that's kind of become a a way of life in this because the people that you're, your roommates who aren't athletes or, you know, whoever, if you have classes or whoever you see when you go out and grab a meal or something like that. Those chances are still, uh, you know, those encounters are still going to happen, and you know, potentially someone's going to test positive. But once someone tests positive, is that person then going to bring it to the team and spread it to twenty people, or can you nip it in the bud right at one person, or two people, or three people? That's going to be the biggest difference, and that's that's the thing where you you kind of look. And college football, I think, is more like MLB than any of the other sports because it's not going to be a bubble, and you've seen. Certain MLB teams, hey, someone tested positive. They caught it. That person's going to be out a couple weeks while they quarantine. Versus the Cardinals or the Marlins, where you know half the team basically catches it, and you're done for two weeks. You're not playing at all. So I think that's the difference here, um, and that's what this these testing can do. So I think that was the most important thing initially. Now they're they're beyond that step. So for the schools and the conference. They've taken a big step forward with this, I think. Now the next biggest hurdle, and the one that they don't really have the control over, is the local governments, the local ordinances that that are set by the local governments. If they don't get any leniency there, there's things don't, uh, you know, they they don't stop restricting how many people can be in a in a workout or anything. Los Angeles County, at least. Um, where it's still, I think it's six to 12 is the most they're allowed in a single workout. So, you know, I, I know that USC and UCLA have been talking with government officials a lot and been trying to, to get some leniency there. And it's, it's hard to look at it and watch this and, and, you know, see how the Rams and Chargers are about to open up a new stadium. And you're going to have, you know, it's a football team. Now it's 53 players versus potentially a hundred players at a college, but it's basically the same thing that you're dealing with here. And colleges aren't allowed to do it, but the pros are. So it's hard to, to watch that and go, how is this fair? How exactly, how does this work out? Why is this not, you know, why is there not the leniency for both uh, organizations? But um, that's, that's the biggest hurdle right now for the PAC 12, the myocarditis, obviously they're, they're moving towards having more identified uh, research and studies on this. Um, but, uh, Doug Ackerman said that it, I, I can't remember his exact quote, but he said something to the effect that, you know, it wouldn't completely, it's not something that would stop you from doing anything right now.
2: Meaning myocarditis wouldn't stop the conference from doing anything going forward.
0: Yeah. So, so Dr. Doug Ackerman, he said that, you know, I don't think we need absolute clarity. Certainly there has been enough discussion that we are aware of the cardiac potential. So I, I think that there's less emphasis on it, at least, so that they they don't need they don't need to know 100% what it's going to be. And I think they'll know, you know, by the time everyone gets these tests, and, and by the time that they would have to play before they would do any traveling or anything, they would have at least the preliminary results of their myocarditis study that they're doing uh, with their national coalition. So then, if they needed to change course, then I think they still could. Because again, let me go back and uh, insert here real quick. Larry Scott said that they would still need they would still need six weeks of training before they could start competition. So if you don't if everyone doesn't get the tests and everything to the end of the month, then plus six weeks, so you're looking at mid-november now, um, I think that they'll have the preliminary they expect to have the preliminary results by that time. So I think that's part of the reason why I said they don't have to have absolute clarity to feel like they can move forward with. And by moving forward, there wasn't. He didn't clarify what he meant by moving forward, but by moving forward, I think that that could be practicing and getting to full contact and starting camps and stuff for a potential season. Um, so I don't think that that necessarily means moving forward to competitions immediately or anything.
2: See, that's really fascinating to me because I feel like the thing that the Pac-12 hung its hat on, whether it was publicly or privately, was that when faced with uncertainty, they decided to pause and take a step back rather than continue forward like other conferences and now it seems like they've kind of changed their their thought process
0: on that from what you're telling me I, I think that they I think they feel they have a little bit better grasp on it and okay. I, I think that there's and this is just me you know thinking out loud uh, from my interpretation of what they said rather than anything they said particular but I think that they feel more comfortable with it I mean there's been a, a lot of debate over that, that research, um, that, that research study itself. And there's been some numbers that have been changed potentially all all that conversation around it. But I think that there's been more conversation about myocarditis and, and what are the effects? How can you, you know, how can you, um, how can you test for it and see? And that's something that, uh, Dr. Kim said that they, that every all the student athletes in the Pac-12 have been having heart uh, scans and stuff to to test for this to make sure that it's not an issue. So that they're definitely concerned about it, but I think they're feeling more comfortable with you know having the knowledge of it now versus at the time when it happened, it was new, it was brand new, didn't know what it was. And when you talk about heart conditions, that's scary to everyone, and that that takes your breath away for a second, makes you pause. And I think now they're, okay, now we're wrapping our head around this a little bit more. And I, I think because they've started this national coalition, I think they've, they're probably seeing some numbers and stuff a little bit, uh, a, a little bit and, and trying to figure out where to go from there. But it's not as high of a concern as as maybe it was previously.
2: Interesting. Okay.
0: But again, I, I, I think there's still some steps along the way. So that, you know, in those steps along the way, before you get to actual competition, if those preliminary results come back that you could have a quick change of heart real quick.
2: Yeah. That makes sense. You have, you have some built in time because it's not going to be right away. Yeah. I guess the last thing for me that I thought was interesting in my tweet perusal was uh, Larry Scott said that he has been in conversation with Kevin Warren and they were saying that they might want to do a season in tandem, which I think would be exciting. You could have a fake Rose bowl, a Rose bowl 2.0 in the spring what were your thoughts on that, Shadi?
0: Yeah, it, it's interesting. It, I mean, everyone is comparing the Pac-12 and the Big Big Ten as to how they've handled the situation, since mm-hmm. they are the two that have decided to, to postpone their seasons. And the Big Ten has just been a complete mess. you know. And the biggest thing has been transparency. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the fact that they haven't had the transparency, whereas the Pac-12 immediately came out when they made a decision, they had a press conference. You know, with this decision, even though they didn't give a big heads up or anything that they were going to have this press conference or anything like that, or that this news was coming, they are still being very transparent about it and having these conversations and talking. Um, I, I think that eases everyone's frustrations with the decision because you know why they're making the decision. They gave you four actionable points uh, in the three weeks ago, and now they're saying, hey, this is a big step towards it, and maybe there they can potentially be. Some change. They're not making any uh, immediate judgments that yes, we're going to play on Thanksgiving or whatever. Um, whereas the Big Ten, it just seems like everything's shrouded in in mystery up there, no one wants to speak and, and be the voice in the front. And that's possibly because Kevin Warren's a first-time commissioner and brand new. Uh, but it was very interesting to hear that Larry Scott, you know, said that you know the high priority for the Pac-12 would be to align our seasons. And what that would do, if you if you do do that, you know the, the there was later the fo- football oversight committee, which is a bunch of ads, and they give recommendations to the D one council. So this is not set or anything, but one of their recommendations was that the maximum games that could be played in the spring would be an eight game season, and it had to be done by April seventeenth, um, which so they could you could have a you know a full twenty twenty one and feel comfortable about that. So if that's the case, and the, both these conferences end up starting on January 1st or whatever and have this, and have eight games, well, if you play eight games, you can then line up you know, eight to ten teams You know, if you want your entire conference to play someone, and that's something that may happen in the other conferences as well, just because there's not enough teams to fill the bowl uh, slots right now, whereas everyone that plays may get a bowl game, um, and so you may have... You know, you may have Arizona playing Rutgers or something in a a after a postseason competition between the two conferences, and you could uh, you know at the top end of it is the the potential of a Rose Bowl two or a spring Rose Bowl, and that's something that's been discussed you know earlier. Uh, you know, I think. Um, Heather Denich from ESPN had an article a couple of days ago talked about the potential of there being two Rose Bowls this season because the college football playoff is one of the Rose Bowl um, is the Rose Bowl this season. So there's the possibility of have, if there's a Memorial Day Rose Bowl, hey, I'm I'll be there. I'll be there to cover it. Sure,
2: I mean yeah, sign me up. Interesting. Okay. To me, it's fascinating how I guess in this one lane, the Pac-12 was like building up credibility. In their transparency and their way of like, even though we don't like the way they did this, they were just like, "Hey, we have an update. This is what we're doing," and they're continuing to kind of keep us up to date on things. It's just interesting how how can you get this right and then get like what seems to be the easy part wrong? <laughs> you know, it just it continues to baffle me.
0: It, it's it's very interesting. It's it's classic Pac-12. You know, you, you get right some things, but some things that seem obvious. You know, it's like Pac-12 refing. you know, you, <laughs> the, you, you call the, you know, the, the hardest penalty to see on the field, but then, you know, right in front of your face, like someone's helmet is being ripped off and thrown away and you don't call a face mask. <laughs> like that's classic Pac-12. Um, so, you know, the conference is just following along with their refs.
2: 2020 has been so rough that I forgot about Pac-12 refs. That should tell you something. <laughs> I, I forgot about Pac-12 refs. Wow. Like I said, this was a instant analysis, kind of raw processing podcast, so it, it will probably ha- sound a little different to you guys. But Chuck, any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? I, I mean,
0: I think this is definitely a step forward. Um, you know, there's still a bunch of hurdles to cross here, but this is definitely a step forward to the Pac-12 starting athletic competitions before January 1st. Now, how early that is, you know, you're you're probably looking at with football needing a six week camp, you're probably looking at November um, and late November. So the potential of an early start to, you know, to a season to a spring season, which would allow you to get a couple more games in, you could potentially play 10 games then in, and in a 13 week window versus playing eight in the spring. If the D one council were to follow those football oversight committee uh, recommendations. So, Um, you know, there's, there was actually a lot of news that came out today. Not only this, this press conference, but the football oversight committees to you know, what they talked about, including that they want to try to, and this makes this reeks of ACC and SEC schools. Like, you know, there's more teams playing right now. So them saying this, but saying, no, if you're an early enrollee, you shouldn't be able to play in the spring which makes no sense at all. Like if you're enrolled in, in school, why would you not be able to participate in athletics regardless of when the season starts, yeah. which, it, which I talked about on, uh, on tunnel vision on Sunday, but could be a uh, recruiting advantage for big 10 and, and pack 12 schools. If you got a Corey Foreman or somebody or uh JT to Mola to say, Hey, you can start your athletic clock now in the spring, play again in the fall. And you're a draft pick in two years. Like Instead of being th- waiting three years, you can be a, a year ahead of the curb. Uh, so, but you know, one of the oversight committee's recommendations was, no, you shouldn't be able to do that. But we'll see what the actual D1 council, if they see through that <laughs> or not.
2: I was going to say, how does that make sense? Because like DJ Ugalde got to practice with Clemson, at exactly,
0: and, and it's. It's a little bit different, but it's pretty rare that um, baseball players will will early enroll e because basically you're skipping your senior season uh, of uh, baseball, but they do that all the time or, or the, they do that occasionally. So, and they get to play during the season, you know, you, you talk about reclassification with basketball players moving up a grade and they get to play. So, you know, there, there's been situations where this is allowed. So it'd be hard for me to figure out why this wouldn't be allowed, especially right now when, a lot of this stuff is trending towards student athletes' rights and them yeah. having extra opportunities and stuff. So, those two things came out. And also, that, you know, Kenna Rogers with D1 Baseball, who I work with, you know, talked about how the athletic departments are allowed to temporarily fund volunteer assistance because of the pandemic. So, there's volunteer assistance because in baseball, you, you only get two assistant coaches, and then there's usually a, a, a third assistant who is a volunteer whose money actually – the pay comes from camps and stuff that are had during the summer. That's what goes to pay the players, and the NCAA is allowing some of those players to to be – or some of those coaches to be paid, whether it be out of the coach's pocket or out of the school. I mean, it's not a, a ton of money or anything, but to help them get through because these people are volunteers. They don't get paid anything. Um so that news also comes out. So it was a a very news driven day uh, across the NCA. So uh, it was it was interesting. I I was getting ready to I was finishing up a story and I was going to do a workout and then suddenly it's like, "Hey, you got 45 minutes before the Pac12 is going to have a news conference about something. Wait, we'll tell you in about 18 minutes what the news conference is actually about. Just give us a minute." It's like, "What what is happening here?" Oh, so oh, this is important. You should probably pay attention to this
2: never a dull moment one final question i lied um and this is kind of spurred by something Raina troy talked about on their podcast but how much you know there's building optimism right now how much of that could be a moot point if for some reason the season is disastrous or or not in the sense of like people get COVID and something horrible happens but just like it's so disorganized and it doesn't go well this fall season trying to manage it with COVID 19 how much, if that happens, does it kind of dampen or put water on what's building towards the Pac-12?
0: It's a very good question, and I think it will depend on what causes breakdowns. You know, if, if it travel breakdowns or if it's testing, what it, what exactly, if they can identify where the breakdowns were and the Big Ten and the Pac-12 can say, okay, we can do that better if we start here, um, you know, and they start and, november and it works out and you know they look like uh they did everything the right way because they wait until someone else made the mistake and learn from it that could be a possibility um, but i think it will depend on what exactly happens now if uh, you know all all things go to hell and you know there's breakouts everywhere and everyone just basically has to shut down the season it's going to be hard to see you know, what you, What has to change in that next two months or three months before you would have a November or a January 1st start to determine, yeah, it's okay now. And, but that's the thing in 2020 and, and with this pandemic, in two months, things can change so rapidly. In three weeks, from the last time when they, you know, talked, how things can change from January 1st, there's no way we can do anything before January 1st to, hey, maybe a little bit earlier might be a possibility now.
2: Yep yep I guess we always you got to stay on alert always you never know when a presser is about to drop or some new discovery (laughs) is about to happen Alrighty, well that's gonna wrap up our little quick uh quick reaction pod um we'll be back with a full breakdown a full family feud at some point Chris wants to come back on I don't know if we're gonna let our cousin of the pod come on (laughs) you never know with him but uh that's gonna wrap it up that's Chuck and I'm Keely we'll see y'all next time
1: okay picture this